following is a message from Praise and Worship, a community of people in Branson, Missouri who are loved by Jesus and joining Him in His mission to bring love and hope to all people. For more information and for more audio and video content, visit www.branson.church. We're going to open our Bibles now. Grab your Bibles, and we're going to Mark. I mean, it's a really well-named gospel when you think about it. I mean, that's just my opinion. I don't know where I get that from. But the gospel of Mark, we're going to Mark chapter 5. If you've got a chair Bible, it's on page 995. And if you have a, a Bible on your phone, you love to read it there, feel free to pull that out, dial up Mark chapter 5. And we're going to look at verses 21 to 43. This is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. It may be one of your favorites. You may remember it. You may never heard it before. Either way, I want you to hear this story about Jesus who's just, this is like an average day in the life of Jesus when he's ministering to his people um, and you see his heart. I want you to see the heart of Jesus, of God Almighty who came as a preacher man. I want you to see his heart in this story because it's just splashing all over the place with his love for you and for me, for these people. These words from Mark chapter 5, verses 21 to 43. When Jesus had again crossed over by a boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus, and just so we're clear, the synagogue was like the local church place where they would read God's word and worship him. So um, it was a local, kind of you almost say the local pastor if you, would, if you were back in those days named Jairus, came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying, so come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew, what's that word? Worse. When she heard about Jesus, did you catch that? She heard. It's like there was this story. There's this guy who can heal you. He's in town. You know. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out for him. from him. Like, you just sit with me over a cup of coffee, and let's just ponder that statement. That's amazing. Verse 30 is when he says that. In the second half of that verse, he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? <laughs> the disciples are like cracking up. You see the people crowding around you. Imagine this, just people just all smashed up against him. And, and, and this disciples, and, and yet you can ask who touched me? Like 50,000 people are touching you. Verse 32. But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. She feared God, not in a good way. Verse 34, he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering." While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Some of my favorite words in the whole Bible are what comes next. 
ignoring what they said. This is what Jesus did. He ignored what they said. The do- your daughter's dead. It's over. End of the story. Ignoring what they said, God Almighty, as a preacher man, his name is Jesus, told the synagogue ruler, what did he tell him? Read those words with me. Don't be afraid. Just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all the commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. And they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with them and went into where the child was. He took her by the hand and he said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. At this they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. I mean, I kind of feel like church is over now. That's all we needed to hear. But it ain't, so let's keep rolling. But I hope you saw the power in God's word there, and we're going to see more power over in 1 Peter, who was in that room when it happened. Go with me to 1 Peter. This is going to be chapter 5, page 1203. So page 1203. 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to be picking it up kind of in the middle of the chapter because I just want to zoom in on... Peter's proclamation to the leaders and to the young men and to all the people. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 7 through 11. Cast how much of your anxiety? All your anxiety on him. Talking about God. Talking about Jesus. Because he cares for you. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. Like a roaring lion. He's not a roaring lion, but he's like that. Looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Standing firm in the what? Because in the faith. Because you know that your brothers and sisters throughout the world are undergoing the same kinds of, what's that word? Sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you, Not just anybody, but he called you to his eternal glory in Christ. After you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Once again, you feel like, well, church is over. We're done. That's all we needed to hear. But let's open this up a little bit. Let's dig in. Let's dive in. Let's feast upon the power of the gospel as we learn the truth about anxiety. Um, together. We're going to ask the Lord to bless us as we do just this. Please pray with me. Father, right now we're going to jump in and we're going to learn about anxiety, about what you have to say about it. We're also going to learn the lies about anxiety, of what the devil has to say about it. And I pray right now that you would help every heart in this room believe your words, to put, that we would put our trust in you, that we would see that the answer to the problem of anxiety is hope. And the only person who truly gives hope is you. Because the hope that you give us is not just temporary or temporal, but permanent and eternal. And I pray that we would see that, that we would believe it, that we would leave this place today 
renewed in our hope, restored by your power. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus, your Son, our Lord. Amen. I want you to indulge me for a moment, and I want you to allow your heart to remember a time of anxiety. For some of you, that's not going to be hard because you might be in it at this moment. For some of you, you're like, Mark, I don't want to go back there. I, I, I haven't been there in a long time, and I don't want to go back. Some of you are like, I've never had anxiety, and those are the people I really want you to listen because that's just not real. That's not truth. And today we're talking about truth. We're bringing out the truth. And I want you to think about anxiety. So anxiety, you know, what is it? You could say, well, it's just being afraid. Ask someone who has it. They'll be like, it's more than that. Well, what is anxiety? It's just, it's kind of having where you feel alone. It's more than that. It's when you maybe don't have hope. We're getting closer, but it's more than that. It's when you almost physically in your body feel like you can't do anything. Yeah, probably even more than that. It's when your whole being is wrapped in almost a tangible horror. And some of you have experienced it. Others, maybe not as much, but everyone has felt it a little, if not a lot. And, you know, in my line of work, I talk to a lot of people, and they will share with me, they will say, I, I struggle with anxiety. And, and with that struggle comes with it all kinds of things. Sometimes there's medications that are prescribed to help the body deal with those emotions. And sometimes that works good, and sometimes that doesn't. Sometimes it's a scenario where like, we have to have counseling. We have to walk through where does this come from? Why is it there? And how do we sort of untangle it? It's like a tangling of a mess of hair you know, around a hairbrush that you can't detangle, right? That's, it's like that, but it's worse. It's more. And in this particular situation, regardless of where you may be on the spectrum of completely engulfed and drowning in anxiety, or maybe on the mountaintop, having felt the restoration of God, we need to take a look at these lies and, these, and the truths that go with them. We're going to look at our first one. This is 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, which we read just a moment ago, and I want you to see these contrasted right together. We're going to look at these um, all throughout today's scripture because it's so important that we see what God says and what sin, death, and the power of the devil will say to you. That's how my Uncle Marty framed all those voices that we hear. And we hear voices. You know, the old joke was, you know, oh, you hear voices, you need counseling. Well, then that means every human needs counseling because we're all hearing the voices. Mark's, everybody's like, I think Mark needs counseling. No, we are all hearing the voices, trust me. And so they may not come in little whispers in the back of your head, but they might come from people you're talking to, from things you read on the internet, from things you see in movies, television, the news, wherever it may be. You're hearing these opinions and these ideas, and they're flowing in, and they're overwhelming you. And you know, what's interesting is in the year 1900, the amount of information an American citizen would take in in an entire year of their life is what you and I take in before 10 a.m. in the morning every day. So we are overwhelmed just, just by itself, unless you're one of these wise people that just lives down by the lake and never turns anything on. There are no screens in your life. You're living the life, right? And I need to learn from that. Meanwhile, we're going to look at the screen and we're going to say, what in the world is the truth? Cast all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. And what is the lie? I don't deserve that. 
I don't deserve that. Other people might deserve it. You know, I see those people over there. Those are the good people. Or those people over there, those are the good people. I don't deserve that. And what I need you to hear is that it's not about what you deserve. It's not about what you deserve. And you're like, how can that be? Take a look at Galatians 2, verse 20. We've got work to do here. Roll your sleeves up because we're getting to work. Galatians 2, verse 20. Let's just read the verse. I have, can we read it together? Read these words with me. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, this is so powerful because it immediately addresses the core lie that the devil tells you and me about our fear, is that you don't deserve God's help. You don't deserve God's care. You don't deserve it. Oh, yes, you do. And you know how that you do? Because Jesus Christ, God Almighty, who came as a preacher man, died for you. He died for you. And anyone who hears these words, it's for you. Not you in general, although that's also true, but you in particular. Because you are fearfully and wonderfully made cherished as his very child and he, if there had only been a population of one on the earth he still would have went to Golgotha for you and for me or I guess just you if there was a population of one but you see what we're saying you see what we're saying and so the idea that I want you to hold in your heart is this you know who deserves you know who deserves to be forsaken by God it was the man who went to the tree now he didn't deserve it but he chose that path he was the night before, he was like, Father, is there any other way? Because this is not going to be good. You know, the beatings are one thing. The slashings are another. The 40 lash, you know, slashes on the back are another thing. But that moment when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's when it really happened for Jesus. And you and I always think God forsakes us, but he doesn't. He forsake one man, his own son. And the reason that he forsook him, I don't know if forsook the right way, the reason that happened for him is so that it would never happen for us. Because everything that Jesus deserved, which was perfection, because that's what he was. He fulfilled all the law of the Torah, the law of Moses, all 611 or 12, however you want to count them, or 13, however many there are, he fulfilled them. And even then some, for you and for me. And then he said, it is, what was that last word? Finished. And when he said that, everything that you and I deserved went to him. And everything that he deserved went to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, for he who knew no sin became sin for you and for me so that we might become the righteousness of God. So this is the truth you must hear. You have been crucified with Christ. All the deservedness that you ever had was taken then. The punishment was taken then. And now, you, the you that was the broken you, is dead and under no danger or, or, or shoe dropping or punishment or any of those other things that would come from God. No, you live by faith. Now, what is faith? 
And we've got this little squiggly down here in the bottom right. Faith is life on God's terms. I know some of you guys are the Hebrew scholars. You're going to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Faith is the evidence of things unseen. And I love that. And I have no idea what it means. And I bet half of you don't either. Some of you guys are like, oh, yeah, it's pretty easy. It's a faith, it's evidence of what I can't see. Great. But what does it actually look like in your daily life? It means when you wake up in the morning, you take, you take the world on on God's terms. And what are God's terms? That he loves you and that he gave himself for you. Those are his terms. And our challenge, your challenge and mine, is that we wake up and we tend not to believe that. I know I struggle to believe it. I'm like, you really still love me? You, you still, is the whole thing still a go? Because I don't, I don't really think I'm that kind of guy. I don't think I, and I go right back to where I started. I don't think I deserve it. Faith is saying it's not about what you deserve, it's about what he does for you. That is the power of the gospel. It is the truth. And that truth has to be shown brightly. The light's shown into the darkness of anxiety. Take a look at Isaiah 53, Verse 4. Here we got another truth and another lie. Look at Isaiah 53, talking about Jesus going to the cross. Surely he took up our infirmities, our sicknesses, the weaknesses that we have, and he carried our sorrows, our sorrows. And look at the lie. I'm all alone. No one understands. And I will give you a part of that. One of the worst things we can say to someone who's struggling with anxiety, oh, I understand how you feel. No, we don't. No, we do not. But God Almighty who came as a preacher man does because he feels it even to this moment. One of my favorite things we said is, is when we did our reading is this idea when Jesus has these feelings, when he, when he gets fired up on this. And my, one of my favorite passages, John chapter 11, where Jesus is going to go, and he knows he's going to go. He's planning, he's delaying his travel to go to be with Lazarus, who is sick. And the, the friends and the disciples of the friend, the friends' disciples come, and they're like, Jesus, Lazarus, your good friend, he's sick. And Jesus is like, yep, let's, let's, let's go in a couple days. And you're like, what? You're like, let's pull the car over. And of cars, that's a joke. But they just sat there. And they waited. And then when Lazarus was dead, he's like, okay, let's go. And you're like, why would you do it that way, Jesus? And they get there, and he sees how everyone is crying and weeping, and he is upset, or they're upset, I should say. And then when he gets ready to do what he's going to do, one of my favorite passages is the shortest passage in the Bible. It is he, Jesus wept. He is the only one. He's the only one who understands. He was literally getting ready to call a man out of the grave, and he wept. He knows what it feels like because he himself took up our emotions, our sicknesses, our anxieties, our experiences, all of those things. He took all of that up, and he bore it, and he carried it while they were whipping him and mocking him and saying, he saved others, why can't he save himself? Psalm 22. It's not in your dig deepers, but it should be. Psalm 22. Make sure you read that today. So he took up our infirmities. He carried our sorrows. The lie is, I am all alone. No one understands. Take a look at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. Just in case Isaiah wasn't enough, let's look at this fulfillment. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in how many ways? 
every way just as we are, and yet he was without sin. Now, some people will look at that and say, oh, yeah, Jesus was a good dude. He didn't sin in the midst of, no, 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 no. He never succumbed to the lie. That's what that really means for you and for me. He never bowed down when the devil said, look, I see all of what you're about to go through, and I could just make it much easier for you. I could give you a solution to your problem, Jesus. You don't have to do any of that. Three times he tempted Jesus. Three times. Every one of them were like, I got a way out, broski. I can get you out of this because I'm actually the prince of the world. And every time Jesus responded to the devil with, it is written. May I invite you to do the same. Take these passages and write them on your hearts. It is written. When you hear the lie, no one understands. There is one who does. When you feel like you're all alone, may I just proclaim to you the promises of God that you are not alone. Yes, us humans may fail. We may fail to see what's going on in your life. We may not recognize that you were in grave need, but Jesus will not. And he will continue to pursue you with love and with mercy and with grace. And he will give you hope, not because you deserve it, but because he loves you. This is the power of the gospel. And so it takes us to our third lie. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And here's the lie. Some of you guys grew up in churches like this. I have to fear God in order to please him. And, you know, again, we've got some scholars in the room. They're immediately going to Proverbs. Starts in chapter 1, goes all the way through chapter 9, but there's a special part right in the middle where it's like, eh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's what they're thinking about. And I'm like, hey, great, but you got to read all the Proverbs, not just that verse. Because if you read all of it, there's a whole lot more to that story. Lady Wisdom and who she is and what she does and how this works. So I want you to take your, let's take a look at another passage, 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. A lot of people will take these two verses and say they contradict one another. Oh, brother and sister, they do not. Look at what these says. I want you to read these words with me. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. I want to give you a real-world analogy. I fear my wife. She's like, darn tootin', right? You know, about, now, we're fi- now she's shooting some amens out right there. But I want to explain myself. Can she overpower me and destroy me? Probably not, unless it's in the middle of the night. It would probably be really bad. But the idea is, generally, I don't fear her from her physical capability, or I don't fear her from her, the power of what she can do, like from authority or anything like that, although some of those things could be rough. I fear because I don't want her to be sad. I fear that I don't want her to go through life saying, oh, this wasn't what it could have been. I want her to have a life that she is thankful for and excited about and hopeful for the future. Do you see what's going on here? It's a different kind of fear. It's a fear where it's like, I care about what she thinks and what she feels and what she experiences. This is the fear of the Lord in Proverbs, is when you say, I should, let's involve God in this. Who knew? If we actually involve God in our lives, do you know what that is? It's called the beginning of wisdom. 
And if you read all of Proverbs, you'll see that the whole process is to care about what God thinks and feels. This is the kind of fear that we see there. And I could get to it. We could do some word studies and some linguistic gymnastics and all the things that go along with that. But I want you to see that when we read 1 John chapter 4, it is not deleting Proverbs from the Bible. It is fulfilling it. There's no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear. The fear that we're talking about. Anxiety. Terror. Horror. You do not have to fear God to please him. Take that lie and throw it down the hill. Kick it all the way into the lake. Because the the promise of God is that perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. And this is where we truly fear God, right? Oh, we fear God's going to punish us. The other shoe's going to drop. According to the devil, according to sin, death, and the power of the devil, then yeah, the other shoe's going to drop. Because you know what? You were bad again this week, and there you go. God's decided this time, that's it. There's a theological term for that. It's like bull hockey or hogwash, or I'm trying to think of something. You guys can think it. Let your, let your imaginations run. You go, you'll come up with some words. It's wrong. It's false, and it's a lie. Perfect love drives out fear. This is why when we are confused, when we are hurting, when we are scared, we look at the cross. We look to where Jesus poured out everything for you and for me. And when we look there, what we see is God's heart. Because God had a fear too. He had a fear that he would lose his children. And he would do anything to prevent that. He doesn't want to lose you. He doesn't want to lose you. And so he has done everything. He has literally moved heaven and earth. You know, somebody said once to me, once that, Mark, are you so narcissistic? Do you think God has arranged the universe to save you? I'm like, no, that's not my idea. It's his. That's what the Bible's. They were talking on social media a couple weeks ago, and they were like, the Bible's not about you. It's about God. I'm like, yeah, except you missed one part. It's about God for you. It's about God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have everlasting life. That's what the Bible is about. It's about Jesus, and Jesus is about you. He came for you, and this is the power of the gospel, and so you don't need to fear the Lord in a terror standpoint. But boy, he would sure love it if you would involve him in everything so that you would see that what he thinks and feels is very important and very relevant to your life. Take a look at Isaiah 53, 5. This is the last lie and the truth that demolishes it. Look at what he says about punishment. The punishment that brought us peace, the prophet prophesied to you and to me, was upon him. The punishment was upon him. Can you guys say that with me? The punishment was upon him. And by his wounds, what happens to us? Now, I've got, a, I've got a liturgical response to that. It's like, you know, sometimes you do these different liturgical. It, it's like that. That's what, it's the fist pump because that's the liturgy you and I will be doing this afternoon when our teams are scoring touchdowns, right? Or hopefully mine will. But anyway, we don't have our quarterback, so I don't know. Anyway, you, you fist pump, right? Because you're like, yes! And we do that on our football teams. I'm like, why wouldn't we do that when God Almighty, who came as a preacher man, did all of this for you and for me? Bam! That's what that is. That is the love of God for you and for me. And then the, here comes the lie. Because the devil, he, now he's up against the wall. He's, he's, heard, you know, he's, he's seeing that you're starting to have hope. He's seeing that you're starting to believe. And he's like, well, he might have done that, but he didn't do it for you. 
This is what happens. He's talking about just the general people, those church-going folk, those people that have it all together, but it's not for you. Come with me to Mark chapter 5, verse 36, because this next passage, I want, you to, I want you to do what Jesus did. I want you to ignore what they're saying. I want you to ignore what they're saying. They came to Jesus, and they were like, don't bother the teacher anymore. She's dead. This is... This is what happens to you and to me. The devil comes like, no, 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 it's not about you. It's not for you. It's not, he doesn't, none of that's true. Ignore what they said. Jesus told, and I want you to put your name there. Not just your first name, but your middle name and your last name and your nickname and like the name you went when you were a kid and the name you're going with your older. I don't care what name it is. You put your name there, the name that's written in the Lamb's book of life. And I want you to hear Jesus say it to you. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Don't be afraid. Just believe. I'm going to say it one more time. Just like Jesus said it three times to the devil, I'm going to say it three times to you. Don't be afraid. Just believe. It is written. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, give us this gift of faith. Let us take all of this on your terms, that you love us and that you gave yourself for us. And let us see that the fear of the Lord is to involve you in our life, to, to see, to care about what you think and feel, to want you to participate, to want us to participate in you and you and us. And let us see that the truth about anxiety is that there is an evil one who tries to destroy us. He prowls around seeking to devour us. But our hope is found in you. Not in us, but in you. Let it ever be true in our hearts that when we look at ourselves and we start to become selfish and think no one understands and we believe that lie, that we will hear the words it is written. That whenever we start to think that we don't deserve this, we will hear the words it is written. That whenever we start to think you might save others but you won't save us, that we will hear the words it is written. Ignoring what they said, Jesus said to you, the hearer, don't be afraid, just believe. May that ever be true in our hearts. Lord Jesus, we pray to you who lives and reigns with the Holy Spirit, with the Father as one God, now and forever. Amen.